Hey cousins, this is Tiff. Today's topic is a little mature for our younger audience. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Jess. And I'm Tiff. And we're your Curious Cousins. Where we talk about everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to episode 54. Welcome. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Tired. I had to travel for work this week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know for many of you that's <laughs> odd for a teacher, but sometimes we do have to travel for work. And um, my district sent me to Arkansas for two days to do some training and then I'll come back and do a professional development for the district nice yeah did you learn a lot yeah I learned some good things um learned we're doing some things wrong and (laughs) um mostly about assessments but I don't Mm want to bore anybody with that but yeah um got to we stayed in Little Rock like downtown Little Rock oh nice so there's a lot of really cool neat buildings down there I wish I would have had more time to stay and explore. But yeah. Alas, I had to come back to school today. So, how are you? Good. A little nervous. I have journey duty on Monday. So, well, fun. when this comes out, it will have already happened. Right, but. right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, well, we're hoping for the be- the best. We're hoping to be released okay, so that okay, I can okay. go paranormal investigating on Friday. That's true. That is true. We would prefer that you get to go paranormal investigating on Friday. Um, yes. That's so. what I'm going to say. We shall see. So, yes. Do we have any other business? Um, I don't think so. On Saturday when this comes out, on Friday when this comes mm-hmm. out, we will be... Yay! paranormal investigating and then on saturday we'll be doing the art deco yeah the downtown tulsa art deco ghost walking tour yes so super excited about that i think it's Um, gonna be a lot of i'm hoping it'll be really cool right yeah i think it will be very neat very cool very neat um i wanted to give a quick shout out to um Jess and I have talked about them before, but Bravo's in Sky took their Mexican restaurant. That's like our Friday night haunt. So we just triangulated to everyone in the world where we're at on Friday nights. (laughs) But um, if you guys are in the Tulsa area, please go and give them a try. Because I tell you what, we we are connoisseurs of the Mexican food. We are. And uh, or probably the Tex-Mex or the Oklahoma Mexican food. And they, hands down, the best. Oh, Hands it's down, so the good. best Mexican food in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, come at me. I don't care. <laughs> um, I have eaten Mexican food in almost every single one of these towns in the state <laughs> that has had good Mexican food. And yeah, yeah, they are good. And it's definitely our favorite. Our very sure. favorite. The best. That's not saying the other places don't have good stuff, because they do. Mm-hmm. And I like to eat at the other places, too. But the very best. And their service is awesome. Amazing. Like, just top notch oh yeah for sure top notch and they're so nice they're they're just the kindest people 
and they just they would do anything for you yeah they're constantly so. checking on you oh and... yes yes and you know the love on your kids and everything so mm-hmm. just one of the various it's right there downtown sky took mm-hmm. and by luigi's by, right by luigi's another phenomenal local owned they're just little local owned restaurants mm-hmm. and they're so both of them are so good yeah they really are bravos That's check them out check them out they're so we're good. not sponsored we are not sponsored by them <laughs> although we would love to be that'd be fantastic that'd if we be were. funny but yeah no so good mm-hmm. so good yeah so do you have anything else coming up do we we don't do we i don't think so i don't think so either all right so we left off mm-hmm. and little phyllis mm-hmm. was missing mm-hmm. from home mm-hmm. and she had been found had she no. not found? She had not been found yet. Um, she had not been found. She was missing from home. She lived in North Tulsa, right? Mm-hmm. And at that time, well, really still, North Tulsa had kind of a, a bad reputation. Still does. It still does. Mm-hmm. I know they're definitely trying to revitalize it and do some new things with it. And we um, are hoping that that's moving in the right mm-hmm. direction. But at that time, in the time, even in the 1950s, it was kind of uh poverty stricken yes because um, coal mines had yes, come in yes and they left yes and they left damage to the land they left poverty because you know a lot of people who were living there were working in these coal mines right and now those jobs were gone right and so um it was very odd phyllis was just going out and play and her parents were used to her being mm-hmm. playing but coming she was pretty consistent about coming home yeah, um, I think she normally would say, tell her parents where she was going to be and right. who she was going to be with, or at least right. they told her, she told her mother. Yes. And um, her dog, Smokey. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Shepherd, the, Smokey, the dog. They were dog. always together. Yes, yes. And dog so. showed back up, mm-hmm. but the little girl didn't. Yeah. And that's where you left us. I did. Um, I did want to say, I did make a point to the article, one of the articles I mentioned as my source, and I got to say where it was from or oh. i didn't write it down it was from tulsa people magazine oh, okay so just to throw that out there okay <clears throat> are we ready to get back into it uh please do yes well i was gonna do a recap <laughs> um oops we'll still i'm still going to a little bit since you but you did do it for me but so phyllis jean warren was an 11 year old girl um called north tulsa slums home she was the youngest and only daughter of robert and josie warren her sidekick that was always with her was her dog, Smokey, like we just said. She would go for hours, sometimes days, before anyone would see her again. She was a tomboy. There were rumors that she ha- uh, was more experienced than 11-year-old girls usually are. Um, she, That's right. That's she right. had a crush on her 21-year-old Cherokee neighbor, Buster Young Wolf. She was last seen on the night of March 12, 1953, when everyone was gathered at her house, just like outside on the porch. They were chit-chatting. And um, she and Young Wolf had been goofing around while the family was chatting. And he left again because it was the next day was his birthday. So Mm -hmm. he had been out celebrating before and he was going back out. And then... You know, Phyllis kind of made herself scarce when the menfolk left. And then um, the women were talking about the spiritualist woman 
Oh, that's right. I forgot about her. And they were getting creeped out. So they went yeah. inside and, you know, her mother stayed up late waiting for her, but she never came home. And then in the morning she was still missing. And that's kind of where I left you. It's interesting <laughs> that she waited like all night. Like where did we I wonder if that was normal or well, if she just I didn't think... know to contact authorities or if maybe she just she must have just thought she's running late or yeah, she just I th- got caught up. Well, I, I, I don't know. I think, too, you know, normally because when they had gone inside, there was that scratching at the door and it was yeah. smoky. Yeah. And so she was expecting Phyllis to be with Smokey. Right then. And she wasn't. She had said, like, when Smokey showed up but Phyllis didn't, it felt different. Mm-hmm. And then I think because she had that feeling, I think it was probably mother's intuition that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And she, it just felt different. So it was almost like she felt like she needed to be outside kind of on guard waiting to so Phyllis would have someone to come home to. Okay. And I oh, okay. Like I don't even though it was out of the norm, I think it was like I wonder if she thought anything nefarious had happened to her or there's just no telling. I mean who knows? And it's just odd because well, we'll get into it, but okay. okay, so you'll have to forgive me. I'm reading my notes off my computer this time. We'll see how it goes. So we're going to talk a little bit about the search now. Okay. When Josie Warren woke up on Friday, March 13th, she found that Phyllis's bed was empty. In fact, her bed looked like it hadn't even been touched. It was like it had never even been slept in. This really uh, scared Josie. It made her more worried. Okay. And Robert, her father, honestly didn't seem to be concerned at all. In really? fact, if if he was anything, it was he was more annoyed. He told Josie that he would go look for Phyllis, and I think he probably told her that to just kind of put her mind at ease. Okay. But he took his time to do it. And of course, before he went out, he had to have breakfast. Got to eat. So he had breakfast before he went to go search. So <laughs> when he finally <laughs> the mom will stay up all night but before the dad. Right. Okay. So when he finally left to go look for his daughter, he told his wife um, that Phyllis was more than likely at her brother Jimmy's house. Okay. Remember? Oh, okay. Jimmy is technically Buster Youngwolf's stepfather. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Even though he's 28 years old. Phyllis would spend the weekends there quite often and one source said that it was the one place she could have a decent meal and have her clothes cleaned. So it seemed like she was there quite often. Remember, we talked about Robert a little last week. He was a simple man. He right. was reserved. He was quiet. He kept yes. to himself. Um, people thought he was odd and the kids had names for him. Like, um, what was it? Ding Batty and mm-hmm. Looney Bird or something like that. He kept to himself even with the few people um, that he was actually close to. He mm-hmm. still kept to himself. And honestly, no one knew a lot about him. So one of the kookiest things about Robert, and it's just odd to me. This is just odd. He, so Robert did well for himself. He had um, a really good job where he made decent money working in the steel mills. 
he made even better money working as a moonshine runner. Yeah. And there was honestly no reason why they needed to live in the slums. That's right. So, and the funny thing is, is no one knew what he did with the money he made because he wasn't using it to buy new clothes. Right. He wasn't using it for food. And he wasn't using it to better his living condition either. So now... Every now and then, he did buy new clothes for his family members. Like, he did buy Phyllis new clothes every once in a while. But he def- When they were literally hanging off of her body? <laughs> Could be. But he um, definitely wasn't sharing the wealth, like, at all. Okay. And it just makes you wonder, like, what exactly he did with this money if he wasn't using it to provide for his family. So, hmm. it's just it's just odd. Right, Yeah. Jimmy lived just a few doors down from Robert and Josie. And when Robert arrived, Jimmy told his dad that he hadn't seen his little sister since like nine o'clock the night before. Oh, my God. Jimmy said that he thought that Phyllis had gone home, but he did mention that Phyllis sometimes stayed the night with her best friend from school, Gertrude Young. So Gertrude didn't live very far away. And the probability that Phyllis was over there was very high. Robert wasn't worried, and he said that he didn't have time to go looking for Phyllis and that he needed to get to work because he was already running late. So she could be anywhere, Mm -hmm. and this was nothing new for Phyllis to do this. She ran off all the time, and she would eventually turn up like she always did. Like, that was his thought process. Oh, my gosh. So Robert ended up going. I know. I, I can't either. Like, just not having, um, I, I mean, I know times were different, but. Well, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, it's still odd, I think. So Robert ended up going into work and getting off at around five o'clock that evening. And instead of finding a hot meal waiting for him, like he expected <laughs> to find after a hard day's work, he found his wife sitting at the table with this tear-stained face. Her eyes were red from crying. Josie was worried sick at this point. Oh, my god! She told Robert that Phyllis wasn't home, that she hadn't come home in hours. And Josie knew that even if Phyllis had spent the night somewhere else, she would have been home from school. Since the Warrens didn't have a telephone and none of their neighbors did either, Robert had to walk several blocks to the corner store. And that was where the family did uh, their shopping and trading and stuff like that. So he had to walk to the store so that he could use their telephone. Robert first called Phyllis's elementary school, uh, which was William Cullen Bryant, I guess was Bryant the name Elementary. Of- yeah. mm-hmm. And but Phyllis's teacher had already left for the day, but he was given her home phone number so that he could call her. <laughs> so can you imagine? <laughs> no, I would not want parents to have my home phone number. Well, this turned out to be another dead end. Robert was informed that Phyllis wasn't at school that day, and the teacher told him that she just figured that Phyllis was homesick, and that's why she wasn't at school. She Mm. was just sick. So at this point, no one had seen Phyllis for almost 24 hours. Oh, my gosh. She hadn't told anyone where she was going, what she was doing, or who she was even going to be with. Oh, my gosh. She was just gone. It wasn't strange for her to disappear, uh, sometimes for days at a time, which I've said this a million times, but everybody knew that. But not like this. She didn't, like, 
I, this time it felt different. Okay. So Robert ended up taking the downtown bus to the sheriff's office, which uh, was located in the county courthouse. Yeah. Where I'll be next week. <laughs> um, Robert told his story to the officer at the front desk, who then called for Deputy J.B. Manley. So Robert tells his story again to Deputy Manley, who then calls in another officer, Deputy Houston Johnson. So then Robert repeats his story for the third time. Mm -hmm. Robert explained to the deputies that no one had seen or heard from his daughter for almost a day. She wasn't at any of the places that she, she usually went to. He told them that Phyllis had last been seen the night before playing with the, quote, strange Indian fellow, Buster Young Wolf. Okay. The deputies listened to Robert's story very carefully while um, they were kind of like keeping their eyes and ears open just to make sure that there weren't any kind of like inconsistencies or some clues and making sure that Robert's story didn't change at all. Mm-hmm. Deputy Manley told Robert that he and Deputy Johnson would take him home. That way they could have a look around. Okay. Even though Robert was a moonshiner, you know, he didn't think twice about going to the law or of like bringing them to the neighborhood. Good for him. Good for him. Um, The deputies did search the area. The only thing they found were Phyllis's small barefoot footprints or barefoot tracks Beside the creek, she had been alone. Her footprints were the only ones found. And it looked like she had been skipping along the stream. And one source said that her tracks seemed to be winding and whimsical. Like maybe she was had a song in her head that she right, was dancing right, to or, right. you know, something like that. Um, the deputies lost her tracks about two blocks from her home. And... Unfortunately, the footprints didn't prove anything because Phyllis could have made them at any point in time. Oh, they yeah. could have been from a few days ago. Right. Like, there's right. just no telling when they were made. And of course, she was always playing barefoot. So that didn't help anything because she was always barefoot. So the deputies found no other clues. At this point, the sun was starting to go down. It was starting to get dark, and the deputies made their rounds through the neighborhood, talking to the neighbors, friends, and family. No one remembered seeing Phyllis past 9 o'clock or, like, to 9.30 that night before. Some people did remember that she, um, that she had been wearing blue jeans, a shirtwaist blouse, and a yellow sweater, but didn't remember anything else. Okay. When the deputies got to the Warren house, they asked Josie up front, like, did she run away? And Josie had told them she couldn't have imagined Phyllis running away. And even if she did run away, she didn't take any necessary items with her that you might take and if you, you were if running she would away. Have run away, she, if the dog initially left with her, the dog would have still been with her. Right. 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 Okay. But like, you know, she probably would have packed extra clothes. Yeah. I mean... There would have been other things missing. Her parents told the deputies that she hadn't even packed a comb or any clothes. Right. Her school friends. I said that word. Her school friends. (laughs) Scrolls. I think I did. (laughs) She was into scrolls. (laughs) Her school friends said that she cared about her looks. Even though Phyllis was a tomboy and um, loved playing outside, she would never leave home without her, quote, 
vanity items. And if she was going to leave home, I doubt she would have left home barefoot. She would have taken I, I if She's planning on her. trekking across who knows what. Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. Deputy Manley and Deputy Johnson returned to the sheriff's office with absolutely nothing to show for their search. Deputy Johnson did call in Phyllis's description to the Missing Persons Bureau of the Tulsa Metropolitan Police Department and the Oklahoma Highway Patrol. And her description would be broadcasted on the radio. And at this point, this was everything that they could do. Right, right. One thing that the deputies noticed was that not only did anyone in the neighborhood not know where Phyllis was, but no one seemed to care either. Oh. And honestly, it almost seems like her mom's the only one who's like, I don't like that. Worried. She had been missing for a day, leaving no trace of where she had gone. It was as if she just vanished into thin air and nobody seemed to care. In the first critical hours after she had gone missing, her parents didn't contact the police. Yeah, exactly. And the dep- at this point, the deputies are competing for time and they're losing. Mm-hmm. It's called the first 48. Mm-hmm. So Saturday morning, March 14th, the authorities got their first lead. The owner of a diner in Barrowsville heard Phyllis's description on the radio and immediately contacted the sheriff's office. A girl matching Phyllis's description had eaten at his place the night before. Bartlesville is about 60 miles from North Tulsa. So the question was, if she was in Bartlesville, how did she get there? there? Did she walk? Probably not. Someone had to have taken her. Right. Under Sheriff Gene Maxey ordered deputies uh, Manley and George Mallard to investigate. So before they left to go to Bartlesville, the deputies stopped by the Warren house uh, to see if they could get like a photo of Phyllis. The Warrens didn't have many photos, uh, but they did find one of her that they gave to the deputies to use. So when the deputies did get to Bartlesville and to the diner, Uh, Later that morning, the owner told them the girl had stopped by the night before and ordered a plate of French fries and that she had been by herself, which the diner owner said he found very odd, but didn't really think anything else about it until he heard the missing persons report. The deputies showed the diner owner Phyllis's picture, but once he saw the picture, he shook his head and told him that she wasn't the girl um, who had come in. So this ended up being another dead end. Well, they had to look at it, though. They had yeah, I mean, you've got to look at every angle that you can. I wanted to go back on something really quickly. Sure. Um, just thinking about how her family, her parents, like how much time they had waited before they contacted authorities. Like you mentioned that the dad had mm-hmm. to walk down the st- – I mean – even if the mom had wanted essentially to contact authorities Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, she wouldn't have been able to because they didn't have a home phone. So they would have had to go to the store. Well, most likely the store was closed, right? But I guess as a mother, I'd have been like, I'd have been at that store waiting for the people to open up. But I get, I mean, I get that it was the 50s and you probably, you know, mindset was you needed your husband to do it. And, but uh, I don't know. I, I kind of like you, like they waited so long, like mm-hmm. he had to eat breakfast. No, 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 no. Yeah. 
it's you it's know, just um, so odd it's so yeah, odd to me that that yeah I just I, there's also a part of me that as that mother in the middle of the night like surely you could have gone some I mean drove down to the police station yourself maybe or yeah anything down, anything mm-hmm. you know yeah so I guess it's just I you know granted we get to look through it through the 2023 lens but yeah I just I can't imagine as a mother in any not doing stage, anything and everything that you could yeah in any decade mm-hmm. not doing that right but yeah that just stood out to me when you had said that like oh he had to walk down to the store and I was like well even if she wanted to she couldn't have right been no able I to, I absolutely know. agree on the way back Deputy Manley decided that he wanted to go back to the uh back to phyllis's neighborhood he had a feeling when the deputies got back to north tulsa still having the photo in their in hand they literally went from door to door questioning every house in the neighborhood they searched the creek and the fields they even searched through dead grass just trying to find any kind of clue that might point to signs of phyllis but there was nothing at this point, the deputies decided they weren't going to leave empty-handed. Oh. Enter Buster Youngwolf. So Buster had raised the deputy's suspicion from the get-go. It, it didn't have anything to do with what he said or did. They just had a, quote, gut feeling about him. They thought there was something off about him. Part of me wonders, though, if Robert Warren had anything to do with it. Because he had already talked to the police before and had talked about that strange Indian young blood or young wolf fellow. So it made me wonder if that's where this gut feeling came from. Does that make sense? Yes. Buster seemed to be nervous and jittery the entire time they were talking to him. Even though it was a warm spring day, he seemed to be shaking like a leaf. He apparently looked like he was hiding something. Um, His eyes were darting all around and he looked like a little boy who had told a big fat lie. He I just want to point out, though, that in last week's episode, when we talked about Buster, I mentioned that he was a bit of an introvert. He was shy and reserved. And I feel like the way he was acting is pretty normal for anyone with those personality traits. Like, Mm -hmm. not to mention that he could have been nervous to be back in a police station since he was technically on probation when he got arrested a few months prior for trying to rob a grocery store. Oh, my gosh. That's right. Because he was trying to feed his family, wasn't he? Or feed himself. I mean, that's what I I don't know, but I'm assuming that's probably what he was trying to do. The deputies knew that... uh, A filling wasn't much to go on, but it was still all they had. Phyllis was still missing without a trace and opportunity was disappearing by the hour. There was no room for the deputies to make any kind of mistakes. So the deputies believed that Buster had to know something. They were determined to figure it out. And because of that, they decided to bring him to the station for questioning. So back at the sheriff's office, Buster didn't give them any like new information that the deputies didn't already know. In fact, it was the same story that everyone else had told them. Buster hadn't seen Phyllis since the night she disappeared around 9 p.m. And in the book of Oklahoma's Atticus, Mm -hmm. it was pointed out that it's hard to believe that in a neighborhood where everyone is packed in like a can of sardines, 
no one remembered seeing Phyllis after that point. Right. Buster Have said been drinking. I mean, I well, Buster had. Oh gosh. Buster said the last time he had seen Phyllis, he had been smoking a cigarette on her parents' front porch. When they asked him where he was the night of her disappearance, he told them he had gone to the movies in Dawson. But that was a lie because he had actually gone drinking with family and friends for his birthday downtown. So maybe he was just nervous about telling the law where he actually was since he technically at this time or since technically at this time, Oklahoma was still a dry state. And again, he was on probation. So maybe he thought he was going to get into bigger trouble. Yeah. Having been around alcohol and drinking when. Right. He's not supposed to. Yes. That's just my thoughts on the matter. I don't know if that's the case. That's just my thoughts. Anyway, the deputies didn't believe him, though. They were convinced that he wasn't telling the truth, but they needed evidence to to validate their instincts. They tried to get Buster to take a lie detector test, but he refused. So they put him in jail and held him overnight. They could only keep him for 24 hours. Right. That was no evidence. That was the longest they could keep him without formally charging him. So they put him and held him overnight. The 24 hours came and went, and they were (laughs) no closer than when they first started. And they had to let Buster go. Even though they had no evidence to go on and Phyllis was nowhere to be found, they still knew that Buster had something to do with it. Like, they were just convinced. They just had this gut feeling i'm doing quotation marks so remember in part one when i talked about when the coal companies um left and they left deep strip mines yes 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 that kind of became streams well some of these streams were super deep and wide Mm -hmm. and some places they were as wide as 10 feet and as deep as 30 to 40 feet years and years of a stream that's a river right (laughs) Years and years of rain and mud had made the water really thick and black and stinky. Ew! And anything could be lost in the depths of these waters and never be found, including a body. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Deputies Manley and Mallard went to under Sheriff Maxie with the idea to drag the strip pits. That's what they called them, strip pits. If Phyllis was down there... They would find her. Well, under Sheriff Maxey thought this was a great idea, so he agreed to it. It is a good idea, yeah. And the authorities called in Assistant Fire Chief Charles Conger to spearhead the mission. Uh, Police officers Jim Jim Starts, Johnny Cole, and Ray Williams were also put on the assignment. So men were like, they were floating in this foul-smelling water for like three days. Um, they dragged a 10 foot long pole or mm-hmm. poles with sharp iron hooks on the ends to grab whatever they could. Uh, wading through this urban swamp was a very slow and tedious process. Phyllis was not found there. Here's a kooky thing that happened. So on March 15th, 1953, just three days after Phyllis's disappearance, the Tulsa World printed accounts of this story. And the headline read, 
Tulsa girl is still missing. No progress is made in search by deputies. So this short article described the unsuccessful investigation and even included the following deputy statement. Quote, the deputy, Houston Johnson, added that the child's parents, nor any of their relatives living in the squalid district, seem very concerned over the girl's disappearance, but none of them have offered any suggestion of what might have happened to her, he said. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. If they knew or had an inkling of what might have happened with to her, <laughs> do you think they would have... God, said something I, to somebody. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm speechless by that. Well, like, well, okay. It's believed that this statement was intentionally made. What? Because the deputies had been searching for three days uh, for Phyllis with with like no success. Maybe if they put attention to the fact that no one in the neighborhood cared, it took away the sense of urgency of their failure to find her. So they were kind of like trying to cover their own butts with not being able to find this little girl and being like, well, her family doesn't care. And honestly, I know I keep saying this, but the saddest part about this entire situation is that no one, including her own family and especially her dad, seemed to care. And it just makes me want to cry. Like, it's just, I don't, I don't understand it. Like you said, I look through it through different eyes, but it's just hard to believe that they just wouldn't care. On Monday, March 16th, the Tulsa World published another story with the headline, Missing Girl Believed Scene Reported Near Dewey Left Home Thursday. So here's what happened. A Dewey resident, George Taylor, had reported seeing a, uh, a girl matching Phyllis's description, and he drove like the 50 miles south to Tulsa to make his report. Taylor said he saw her around 5 p.m. Saturday, just north of Dewey, and she was, quote, looking back all the time like she was scared. She was walking along U.S. Highway 75, but this this led nowhere. And Deputy Johnson believed that Taylor was, quote, thoroughly convinced that he had seen Phyllis, but in actuality, he didn't. Like, whoever the girl was, she wasn't Phyllis. But he Probably had the it same in his girl mind. That went, to, went, went to Bartlesville. And right? That's a there good was point. A, mis- a mistake in identity there, mm-hmm. and it happens. Yeah. And that's a good point. Right. And it may have been the same girl. There's just no yeah. telling. I mean,. It's a little girl with blonde hair. I mean, they literally had a description of her clothes. Right. What she looked like. Exactly. I mean, and unfortunately, that was every other girl in America at the time, really. So, right. You know. Right. So <laughs> Phyllis hadn't even been found yet, but people's opinions surrounding Buster had already started to form at this point. Well, we got to blame somebody. Right. So the Tulsa Tribune had released an article that, quote, some Indian character. I wonder where they got that from. Their words, not ours. Right. Their words. That's why I said, quote, yeah, who lived in the neighborhood, had been arrested over the weekend for questioning about the missing girl and how he had refused a lie detector test and was freed after 24 hours. They even know this. That's what I'm asking. Like, who told them? 
Oh, my God. And he hadn't been arrested. He was taken in for questioning. That, right. There's a difference. Right. They had no means of arresting him. They had no... They couldn't. They held him overnight, but he wasn't technically arrested. He was not arrested. So because of this article, a poisonous seed of suspicion had been planted about Buster Young Wolf. So that doesn't help anything at all. Since dragging the strip pits failed to produce a body, the authorities were starting to get desperate especially since the local newspapers had t- had started covering the story and now the public was aware of it. I hate when I hear that police getting desperate. Yes. Because you hear it in the Girl Scout murders too. They started to get desperate. And right. that's when our mistakes are made. Right. So taking drastic measures, authorities decided that dragging the strip pits weren't enough. They were now going to bring in pumps and drain the swamps. Oh well, gosh. guess what? They drained the swamps. Phyllis wasn't found. The only thing they found was junk. So Deputy Johnson kind of became the face of the search, and he was kind of the point of contact for the news interviews and all that kind of thing. So his face was very well known. It was out there because of this. As the days turned into weeks with zero signs of Phyllis Jean Warren, the grim reality was this 11 year old, this 11 year old girl who had been missing for two weeks was probably never going to be coming home, at least not alive. So frustration quickly turned into acceptance. Phyllis's (sighs) file was handed over to the missing person's cabinet and police headquarters, almost like they just kind of gave up in a way. They're like, well, well. But if we find her, like, we find her. At this point, technology was not, I mean, the FBI had was really in its infancy still. Right. And so, I mean, I almost understand, like, why that had to, that happened. I mean, it was the 1950s. Uh-huh. The FBI was still very much in its infancy, mm-hmm. very early years still. And, but... Well, it's not point, like I they had even, the networks. Right. Like to, they weren't even involved at this point. You That's know, what's crazy. Right. It it's not like we police. had, they had even the networks to, you know, send out like a bolo. Yeah. Into Kansas or, right. you know, I mean, I guess they could make phone calls and stuff, but it's not, it's not like it could have been, you know, there's not like the mass communication that we right. could, that we have today. Right. That they could have gone. And even, at, you know, like you mentioned before, television sets were very few and far between and definitely weren't going to be found in North Tulsa. Yeah. Well, and that's why I think it's good that they broadcasted it on the radio because a right. lot of yeah. people listen to yeah. the radio. Exactly. And even if you don't have a radio, like in your home, some place that you go to yeah. will probably it's have probably one where you hear somewhere. it. Yeah. I just hate that they were probably limited by mm-hmm. it was in, you know the green country area. Right. And, you know, maybe it maybe could have been heard in the Oklahoma City area, but... Well, and part of me... Now, this is just me throwing a thought yeah. out there, okay? Um, this is a little girl from the slums. Who's going to care about one little kid with a family that has too many mouths to feed? That... I feel like Her that might have been... Her family wasn't throwing money at any... At, Right. Wasn't hiring PIs, wasn't throwing money at... And part of me wonders... Not offering a reward, I guess I should say. Well, and part of me wonders if that was part of the problem. Like, Makes sense. You know, like, I, I, I hope it wasn't, but... 
You know, I mean, yeah. you got to look at the situation of where she was living and right, right, right. Her way and of even life. you know the I, the word I don't know the word that I almost like the lack of motivation for her own stepfather to even go and make her father yeah her father make a police report right you know that's just i think that probably set the precedent Mm -hmm. maybe well and i feel like if it wasn't for her mother he probably wouldn't have done it you know what i mean like that's the feeling i get but i don't know i didn't know him personally i don't know his family personally but yeah the From way this, he's portrayed it, in research, kind of, right? Yeah, he was not the most affectionate, right? And right, wasn't the most worried about. Yes, that's exactly his child's well-being. Yes, that's exactly it. Mm-mm-mm. All right. Well, since man's efforts had failed, mm-hmm. one family member, I talked about her briefly in part one. Phyllis's sister-in-law, her name was May Ellen Warren. Still clung to the hope that she would be found, and now it was time to consult the dead. So she is the sister-in-law that put a lot of stock into the spiritualist woman that we kind of oh, talked yes, about yes, a little yes, bit. Yes. She was that sister-in-law. Um, this spiritualist woman, her name was Reverend Leontine Bryant. Oh. She was a minister in the Universal Church of the Master. Sounds Ooh. creepy to me. That's just... She preached about the divine father and mother God. She taught that oh. individual existence, identity, and memory carry on after a transitional state, which is death. This is the woman that May Ellen was desperately seeking help from to find Phyllis. Okay. So no one knows the specific details of this encounter <clears throat> because it was never recorded. But there is speculation. So Reverend Bryant stared into the void, and I'm doing quotation marks here, which lasted several minutes until it finally came to her. She asked for paper and pencil to be handed over to her quickly. She then sketched a very detailed map, and when she was done, she drew a waving line down the middle. She told May Ellen, this is Dawson Road. The path Phyllis followed. So she scratched these hard lines for woods and like a box for Phyllis's home. She drew ovals and a large X at the edge of the trail to represent the end of Phyllis's journey. She also told May Ellen that she had never been to this place before, but she had found another missing child several, several years prior. According to Reverend Bryant, Phyllis didn't disappear from her home. In fact, she had never left. She said that Phyllis would be found in a crevice in the dumping ground not far from her home. She also said that Phyllis would not be alive when she was found, that she had been buried in a crevice, and that she had been murdered. Her body would be found lying face up, and she gave May Ellen one last detail. The person who killed Phyllis wore dirty overalls. This detail didn't mean much because everyone in the area wore dirty (laughs) overalls. Ooh, good one. Reverend Bryant did confirm the one thing the family feared, which was that Phyllis had been murdered. If they had taken Phyllis and someone had killed her, then that meant the person must have been close to her. 
either a friend or a family member. If it was anyone else, the person wouldn't have gotten near Phyllis because Smokey wouldn't have allowed a stranger near his girl. Hmm. So that was kind of the family's thought process on that. Or at least maybe that came to May Ellen. I don't know. I'm not sure. So, of course, after hearing this, May Ellen ran home with the map in her hand and members of the Warren family went to search the dumping grounds where where the reverend said that Phyllis would be found. Family and the police had actually searched this area area several times to no avail, but they tried again. They were desperately clinging on to hope, but scared of what they would find. Part of me wonders how true that was. Yeah. But anything. What they found was nothing. Phyllis was not there. The next morning, this is now Monday, March 30th. So this happened right beforehand. Or right before then. The family called the Tulsa Tribune, giving the details of this latest development Mm -hmm. with what Reverend Bryant had um, told them. And a reporter and a police officer arrived on the scene and interviewed the reverend. But she had nothing else to say. So I don't know how much more helpful she was. So Thursday morning... April 2nd, 1953, Robert stumbled out of his house. He was probably going a little stir crazy. At this point, Phyllis had been missing for three weeks. He was never close to Phyllis or any of his children for that matter. But he couldn't help notice how um, Phyllis's disappearance was affecting his wife, Josie. You think? He told Josie he was going to go look for some salad greens. I believe that's like poke greens, poke salad, collard greens. I think that's all the same thing. Okay. With food being scarce, Robert would search for the poke greens that grew in a ravine down by the creek. (laughs) Robert called Smokey to come with him, and the two went on a hunt just before noon. He wasn't gone long. Well, while searching for said salad grains, Robert Warren found something else. Oh, my gosh. No, 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 no. He charged onto the porch, ran through the door. Smokey found her. Smokey found Phyllis. That's what he told his wife. So this was baffling, right? Robert Warren had been searching for greens near the ravine around 1140 a.m., just as he had done hundreds of times before. Right, 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 right. This day was different, though. Okay. Robert said that Smokey had started barking and just kept on barking. He said that he never had seen the dog more agitated. The usually calm and docile German Shepherd was all of a sudden as wild as like a mad dog. Nearly pulling Robert's arm off his shoulder as he dragged Robert across the field. He said that the dog acted as though he was responding to a command, like he was answering a voice that was calling him. Mm-hmm. Robert told authorities that he followed Smokey across the fields towards a brush pile. As soon as they made it to the spot, the hair on Smokey's back just stood up. And I don't know why, but that gives me chills. Because the dog knows. Smokey began to sniff the ground and then started digging. 
Um, and like digging furiously. I mean, as a German shepherd, they're so intelligent. Right. And, and they're good his, search dogs. And that was his person. Right. So he starts digging furiously at the roots of this, of like an upturned tree. With dirt flying everywhere, Robert couldn't figure out what Smokey was after. So he just kind of let him dig. It didn't take long before Robert saw Phyllis's blue jeans. So Phyllis was right where Reverend Bryant said she would be. No! Right where her family and the police had already searched so many times before. After weeks of searching, Robert found his daughter's small, broken body buried just a few blocks away from home. Beneath a pile of weeds and limbs and dirt so shallow that even a dog could dig her out is where she was found. So Robert immediately ran home to tell his wife that their daughter was dead. He didn't stay for her reaction. He busts in there, says, Phyllis has been found. He found her and he ran out the door. He immediately ran to the grocery store and called the police. Good. good. I'm glad he's doing something quickly now. Sergeant Jimmy Jackson was the one who answered the phone that day. He told Robert to stay calm and wait at the grocery store. He told the dispatcher to rush um, the nearest cars to the scene. Field Sergeant Burke Hughes and uh, Detective Ray Jones heard the report and sped to the grocery store. So they picked up Warren or they picked up Robert Warren and they drove him to the brush pile. They borrowed like a spade or a shovel from a neighbor Mm-mm. and began to dig without taking pictures or it wasn't long before they uncovered scene. blue jeans, a red checkered shirt, the legs and arms of a little girl and finally her face. Robert confirmed that the little girl was Phyllis. Detective Jones radioed the police headquarters with what they had found and was ordered to stop digging. Detective Chief Harold House, Commissioner J.L. Jones, and County Investigator Ace Lang would uh, lead the removal of Phyllis's body. So this next part to me is just... So sad, and it honestly makes me disappointed in humanity a little bit. Oh, no. Um, Well, I don't like that statement. Because humans are nosy busybodies. Right, right. People were drawn like a moth toward the flame. Oh, no, no. Curious people followed the sirens that they heard to where they had gone. People arrived by the hundreds. They were, um, the slums, the slums were no longer the slums. It had turned into a circus. Police on the scene were ordered. Crime scene. Yes, police on the scene were ordered to hold back bystanders, but the mob of this of the people just continued to grow and grow. Well, at some point, there was going to be more people than the police could probably have handled. Just wait. Oh no! So this big mass of people who had hastily parked their cars ended up causing a traffic jam, which prevented police from accessing the area. Oh my gosh! Here's a kooky fact. Oh. Real, that's a cookie. <laughs> By the time the other authorities made it onto the scene, the crowd had grown to nearly a thousand people. A thousand. This is a little child. Yes. I can only imagine the time delay that happened with authorities trying to get through that crowd and how long it probably took them to finally make it onto the scene so that they could do their jobs. It is a crime scene. 
of an 11 year old girl of a child Mm -hmm. is that i i just like it blows my mind and it just makes me so disappointed Honestly, I mean, I can't say 100% that we're any better now. No, I mean, but, look at people rubbernecking when a car crash happens. Right. But it's just like. But to follow the sirens, the cops to yes. the scene of a crime, you don't know what's happening there. What if it was like a shootout or something? You I mean, know? well, that's what that's what made, it made me think of the mom, Paul, or not mom, Paul. My dad said that when I was earlier the mall and frank barker right family had that shootout right and people, and people were having were picnicking. picnicking yes i was well, like it makes you think about you know we're in the middle of like the american revolution or the civil <sighs> war and people were out there picnicking yes. watching battles yes i'm like this is not your only form of entertainment uh, yeah go pick up a book friends i just i does can't. that not just disgust you though yes because you know at that point i mean it was the same thing with bonnie and clyde too right right like Despite everything, that is a crime scene. And I know it's not like in 1953 they were going to get any DNA evidence. Well, and that's, but what if there are footprints? Well, that's not even the... Now there's not any there. Yeah, yeah that's that's part of it. That's a good chunk of it. Yeah. But also, what about the, the families of that victim? Right. I mean, her dad's standing right there. Her poor mother. Right. It's just... I mean, <sighs> I, would, I, I would assume my father would not have wanted anyone uh, to, to witness be, my... Me or my a spectacle sister. like that, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I definitely wouldn't want my own children. Like, if that were, if I were in his shoes, I wouldn't want them all gawking at my child's broken body. Right. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I know. Once Detective Chief House Commissioner Jones and Investigator Investigator Lang, I don't know why I'm having trouble with that word tonight, arrived on the scene. The police then started digging, carefully excavating the dirt that surrounded Phyllis's body. If they came. For a morbid spectacle, the curious crowd that watched with bated breath got one. It took an hour before the police were finally able to unearth Phyllis. Phyllis's body was now fully exposed. Oh, my God. Lieutenant Harry L. Stedge. I know. Lieutenant Harry L. Stedge. And I don't know if I'm saying that right. So I apologize if I'm not. He ordered the body to be removed and a Tulsa world photographer captured no. the entire grim sight. No. Yes. So um, I should have said this earlier. Just another warning. This might be a bit much for the younger listeners. So please be advised. This is disturbing and traumatic. So just be aware. I'm about to get into some heavy stuff. You can't. I'm sorry. Phyllis was buried in her blue jeans and blouse, the same ones that she had worn the night she went missing on March 13th. Phyllis was buried in a, they called it a perversion of the fetal position. That, that's what the book called it. So she was on her back with her knees drawn up to her stomach with her left arm folded across her chest. She looked as if she had been dead for months and it had only been three weeks. Her whole body, and I mean from head to toe, was caked in mud and it made her look like a mummy is how they described it. She was badly decomposed. A lot of her face had already rotted away from exposure. Um, The only thing that was spared were her eyes. 
Phyllis had been wearing a blue plastic belt as well when she disappeared. This blue plastic belt was now tied tightly around her neck. Oh, my God. Her underwear she had been wearing was stuffed into her hip pocket and they were covered with blood. Mm. At this point, the police are still holding back the mob. But they're becoming anxious and restless because they know that the body of the missing girl that they had been reading about had been found and they were there to see a body. However, the only thing they could see were the backs of the police officers who removed her from her makeshift grave. Thank thank you, Lord, for that. Because at some point, those police officers had to have some sort of dignity, try to protect Uh, their dignity. You would hope. Phyllis's body wasn't the only thing the police found, though. They found three beer cans buried beside her body, which looked to have been opened in like a savage kind of manner. Like someone had clumsily poked three slits into like with a knife or something, like stabbed it in there. Shotgunning it or something? (sighs) I don't know. But they each had three slits. That's what's weird. And there was three cans. A pocket comb had been found in a case that was also buried next to her body. A green rubber frog, the kind that had a voice box that croaked when you squeezed it, it was also found. And if you'll remember, Buster Youngwolf gave her this toy the night she disappeared. Phyllis's body was sent to a Wisenhunt funeral home so that the police physician, uh, Dr. Lee Gentry, could examine her. Dr. Gentry didn't perform like a full autopsy, though. It, It was... It was, um, even though that was a standard procedure, Mm -hmm. um, he just did a superficial examination to determine Phyllis's cause of death. I don't know if this was because her body at this point was already pretty badly decomposed or if he just didn't care or if he just thought it was obvious. I'm not sure what the case was, but a full autopsy didn't happen. His professional opinion was obvious. The 11-year-old girl had been strangled to death with her blue plastic belt. Given the other indications, there was not much doubt that she had been raped. If any semen samples had been collected or observed, they were not recorded. They didn't write it down. The residents of Tulsa... They wouldn't have been able to tell if there was any, like, bruising or trauma... So the residents of Tulsa were horrified. and That horrified them? Right. The residents of Tulsa were horrified, and the authorities sworn to protect them were embarrassed. So how could the police let this happen? How could, or how had this child been missing for three weeks, only to be found buried in a pile of brush only a few blocks from her home? Like, that, those were the questions that Tolson's were starting to ask. That's a good question. I'm not going to lie. How could they let this happen? Well, there are sickos out there. Right. And it's the police. It's not like we're all attached to a police officer right. who has control of our consciousness. But it is. How did she get bit? Ba- yeah. How did she get buried? How, None of this was making sense. been there for a long time. Right. None of this was making sense. So finding Phyllis's body set off one of the biggest manhunts in Tulsa history. Police had finally found her body. Now the mysteries were who killed her and why. Right. And that's where I'm going to leave you. Oh. So next week, I'm going to try and make this a three-parter. <laughs> it could be a four. I don't know. There's just so much information. I... 
So I'm going to try and do the manhunt, the okay. capture, and the trial. And I, I, hopefully. But I have jury oh. duty, so I don't know how far I'll get. Right. <laughs> I, oh. But um, so far, that's where we're at. Wow. It's sad. It's th- This whole thing is sad. It's just. <sighs> it's sad because it's a child. Mm-hmm. And. I mean, like, you're sitting here like, oh, we found three beer cans. Oh, you know, her underwear was stuck in her pocket. And I'm like, ah, that's all great. DNA evidence right there. And even, like, part of me was like, I wonder if, like, you had said that the medical examiner had not really done a full autopsy. And part of me was kind of like, well, at least try you know, maybe right. try to take like a vaginal swab or try to clean the body of the mud to see if they, I mean, you could have at least possibly, I don't know if you would have been able to still see like liver mortis or whatever. Right. But I mean, you might have been able to tell if there was like the condition that the skin was in, like mm-hmm. was there lots of bruising? Right. You know, there might have been still skin underneath her fingernails. If Not that they could have done anything. Or, well, in, in 1953, I don't know what, no, what? I don't know if you could have forensics looked like no. back then. Probably but... only blood typing is what they could do, but that's a, that's at least one piece of evidence. And right. you know, if preserved properly, you could save it. Mm-hmm. And not that I don't know that you'd be able to use it now because it's been fifty years at this point. But yeah, um, or it's actually been seventy years now at this point, right? Yeah, nineteen fifty three. So, gosh, man, I know. This one's a hard one. That's that's, it's that's a, rough. That's rough. It's a rough that's one. Rough. Man. Well, so. yeah. Um, hey, any questions, comments, uh, show ideas, stories you want to tell us, you can always find Jess and I at CuriousCousins at gmail.com. We, of course, are streaming on all major platforms for podcasts, including Apple and Spotify and all the others. <laughs> Um, and of course, follow us on our socials. We stay pretty active on them. We yeah, do. we've actually had a, um, an, I believe a new, f- well, I don't know if she's a new fan, but we did have a fan that reached out a couple of times. Yeah. So With some new story ideas for yeah, us. Yeah, so absolutely. We love hearing we ideas. Yes. And Thank you. So, suggestions. Yeah. And yeah, other than that, we're up to 93 on Instagram. And I mm-hmm. think we said last season that once we hit 100, we'd have another drawing, another yes. giveaway. So, yeah, keep keep telling your friends. Keep listening. Maybe if we hit 500, we should have another one on Facebook. Oh, yeah, because we're close to 500, too. We're like at four something. 486 or, 486 something, like or something like that. So, yeah, we each buy, we reach 500. Tell your friends. Tell your friends <laughs> to listen to us. And, uh, yeah, just tell them what to keep it. Keep it cookie and spooky. Bye. Bye.